Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. I'm really, really glad you're here. If you're our guest, a special welcome to you. Uh, the way I like to think about you coming to be with us, if you're our guest, is uh, that this is home, and so welcome home. And we hope that you'll make this your, uh, your church home. I've been out for a couple weeks on vacation with my family, and I want to say thank you to all of you for um, your support in that and for uh, giving me the kind of a church environment where I can get away. A lot of pastors don't have that luxury, and so I feel very fortunate to be a part of this uh, congregation. And a special thank you to the team of volunteers and staff who carried on in my absence, uh, didn't miss a beat. They're quality, quality people. And a really special thank you to the two folks who filled in for me while I was gone. Uh, Pastor Melissa, who leads our adult ministries, did a phenomenal job a couple weeks ago. She gave me a brand new phrase as I listened to her while I was, I think, in Colorado uh, on that Sunday. I I listened to her um, speak, and she gave me a brand new phrase for my prayers. She talked about making, uh, asking God to reveal himself to our children in such a way that they couldn't deny that it was him who was revealing himself. And so immediately that morning, my prayers shifted. And as I pray for my kids, I use that idea, God, would you reveal yourself to my children in a way they can't deny that it's you. And uh, so I'm just grateful for the message she brought. And then the very next week, uh, Pastor Joseph, who just gave the announcements on the video, did a phenomenal job, just brought an incredible, uh, inspiring word about the power of coming alongside. And, and, and he talked about the generational impact that can be made. It was a minor point, but it stuck with me. And it made me think about the power that we have as a church to make generational impact. And so today, I'm going to bring you the fourth of our um, Heroes Message series. And if you want to, you can go in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. We'll spend a bit of time in chapter 18, 19, and 20. We won't work through all those verses, but we'll kind of jump around in those verses. And I want to take you to um, a story of a guy that, if you've been around church for any length of time, you may have heard of. You've certainly heard of part of the, the guy, most everybody has. It's about the guy named David. David, the shepherd boy who becomes king, who kills a giant. And so we're going to talk about him. But he's not the focus of our our time together today. The focus of our time together today is a friend that he has. And that friend's name is Jonathan. And we're going to talk a lot about Jonathan and the impact that Jonathan uh, made in David's life. But before we talk about either one of those characters, I want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but has anybody ever heard of a man by the name of John Minder? It's not likely, perhaps you have, um, but John Minder was the academic dean, a very dry job at, at the Florida Bible Institute right outside of Tampa in a little area called Temple Terrace. And uh, you can still visit that uh, institution today. It's slightly different than it was back in the 1950s. But when John Minder had that job, he had the chance of interacting with a lot of would-be pastors. His job was relatively dry and boring by my standards. He seemed to love his job. And every once in a while, because of the position he held within his denomination, he'd be asked to go somewhere to speak and to give a message. And that was the case in about 1950-something. John Minder was asked to take his weekend that he had off because he had a Monday through Friday job as an academic dean. And he was asked to take his Sunday and go speak at another place. And was his custom, he brought with him some of those young men who aspired to be pastors and church leaders. And so over the course of that Sunday and the next few Sundays, John would go speak, these young men would go with him. And 
Sure enough, another weekend comes along and he gets another invitation to go speak. But instead of accepting the invitation himself, he turns to one of the young men and he says, I want you to take this invitation to go speak at this church. And this guy had never spoken before and he was nervous about it. And he said, no, I don't want to. And John looked at him and he said, I see something in you and I think you should go speak at this church. I'll be there. So all the way, the whole drive there, the, the guy writes about it. And he says, the whole way there, I'm just like, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? I mean, here he is studying to do it. He wants to do it, but how can I get out of this? And there in a little church in Palatka, Florida, Billy Graham gave his very first sermon at the urging of John Bender. Now, I want to talk to you today about the power you have, the power God has given you to make an incredible difference in other people's lives. All of us have it. You have it right now. I mean, you may not know you have this power, but God has given you resources, opportunities, insight, so that you can leverage it, not just for your own benefit, but you can literally give flight to somebody else's dream. You can. You already have that ability. God's already put it in you. In fact, most of the kingdom work of God happens not just because somebody by themselves says, I'm going to follow God. It happens because somebody else looks at someone and says, I think God can use you. In fact, they use my, some of my four favorite letters. They use, I see in you. I see in you. I see in you something special. I see in you a call. I see in you some potential. You may not see it yourself, or perhaps you want to see it, but you're terrified. I mean, the gap between where you want to be and where you are is so big. But I see in you the move of God. I see in you some skills, some gifting. And Jesus understood this principle of the power of calling out of other people the call of God in their life, tapping them on the shoulder. The 12 people that he gathered around him and went together for months, the, the thing they all had in common is none of them were really destined for greatness by the normal course of life that they were on. But Jesus looked at them, and in one way or another, each one has the unique story, he effectively said to them, I see in you something that God can use. So get up and follow me. And they did. And it changed them. It changed everything about them. You probably have somebody in your life, you do, who's made a profound difference just because they saw something in you, they called something out, they opened a door for you, they gave you an opportunity. I'm going to ask you four questions, all right, real quick. Don't answer out loud. Here's a question for you. Do you know the top five richest people in the world today, what their names are? Do you know the top five richest people in the world? That's question number one. Let's think real quick. Now, maybe you can get one or two. Anybody pretty, you know, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. But anybody pretty confident you can get the top five richest people in the world? All right. Okay. Hey, here's question number two. How about in the last four years, the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize for the last four years? Anybody? Just, could, could you, I'm not going to ask you, but could, could you do it? Anybody? All right. How about 
How about the, 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 the Nobel Prize for Scientific Discovery? Anybody can pull out the last five years, those winners? Now, here's the thing. Wealth, bringing peace, scientific, these are things that the world lauds and celebrates, and I guess to some degree they're worth celebrating. I mean, they're, they're powerful things. Here's my, here's my other question for you. Could you name the person that's had the biggest impact on your life? Can you do that one? How about the top three people who have had the biggest impact on your life? Could you do that? Do you know their names? See, it's one thing, and it has a certain amount of notoriety and impact and gravitas to it to achieve global fame, to achieve global acknowledgement and recognition, you know, and to have your, your peers laud on you. That, that's powerful and awesome and good. But everybody in this room has the potential to make the list of names that somebody else will never forget. Every year, the list of richest people changes. Every year, there's scientific discoveries. Every year, somebody gets acknowledged for some other world good that they've accomplished, and that's wonderful. But most of us don't remember those names. But the names you'll never forget are the people that made an impact on your life, and your name will never be forgotten by the people whose life you make an impact on. In your message notes, let me give you something that you may not have thought about, and today we're going to focus our entire attention right here. You were destined by God for impact. You were destined by God for impact. Part of the reason he put you on earth, part of the reason you're still breathing, the purpose for which you were born, whether you've ever thought about it or not, isn't to just survive. It's to make an impact in this world. And in the story of David and Jonathan, we get to see some of the mechanical ways that God typically uses people to make an impact in the world. Blank number two in your message notes is the power of love in relationships. The people you know is the power of, here's our word, hero making. When love is at work in a relationship between two people, something powerful can happen. Profound impact can happen when somebody loves somebody else. And one of the ways it often shows up is when there's deep love, there's some hero making going on. Now, I love the summer movies that come out. Um, about a year ago, my wife and I bought a movie pass. Um, if you guys don't know what this is, it's a little program. I'm not endorsing it. There's some challenges with it, but we love it. And for 10 bucks a month, Jill and I can see a movie every day and not pay any more. And we'd see a lot of movies. And a lot of them are junk, but the way I'm thinking is I've already paid for it, so I'm going anyway. And popcorn's always good, right? And so, so I, we go to it. But my favorite movies are the hero stories. It's the, you know, it's the, the villain versus the hero. It's the but you know what I love about it? The reason I didn't like the last Avengers movie, don't throw stones, all right? But the reason I didn't like it is I love the story of the development of the hero, what it was they came from and what they became. And in almost every story, there's someone who plays the role of hero maker. One of my favorites is Batman, right? This is not in your Bible. I know I'm getting there. But one of my favorites is Batman, and here's why. It's not so much that I like Batman. I mean, the only thing he's got going for him is some great gadgets, and he's, you know, pretty resilient, right? But, and I guess he's bright, but, 
The thing I love about the story is not so much Bruce Wayne. I like Alfred. This guy who comes alongside Batman and makes Batman. He's the hero maker in the story. In almost every hero story, there's somebody who facilitates, who pushes forward the person who's going to do great things. You know what Jesus said about himself when he came to earth? He said, the son of man, that was one of his self-titles. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In many ways, Jesus is the ultimate hero, but in other ways, he's the ultimate hero maker who served other people and called out God's plan for their life. When other people had given up hope, when they had given up hope on themselves, Jesus looked at people and he said, I see in you something. And it changed them. They were never the same after he looked at them and said, I see it. You, you may not, others have not, but I see it. The woman at the well covered in shame, Jesus said, I see something else. Peter, who constantly blew it. I mean, this guy blows it over and over and over. And the last engagement Jesus has with Peter face to face, he looks at Peter and he says, go feed my sheep. And Peter rises in the early church as the primary leader over and over and over again. And, and in fact, for our point today, one of the things I just want you to think about, I want to just offer it for your consideration in your message notes. Here it is. Hero making, I think, is often more heroic than being a hero yourself. And for some of us, the biggest impact on our life, our legacy, will have less to do with what you accomplish and more to do with what you help someone else become. And your biggest impact may not be your list of accomplishments. It might be what you help somebody else become, what you empower somebody else to do. This is, by the way, the way the kingdom of God grows exponentially. You and I only have a small, relatively small range of impact. Some of you have more than I do. I have more than others. Others certainly have more than I do. I have more than some... But it's relatively small, but the impact you can make on a handful of people, now that's almost immeasurable because of the impact they can make on a handful of people. In fact, your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. This is a good word for parents. It's a good word for every leader. And if don't think it turns into just raising biologically somebody in your home, but somebody you raise up, your greatest contribution in life, your legacy, your impact, the thing that people sit around and talk about may have more to do with who you raise up than you yourself. In fact, if Jesus is telling the truth, it's almost guaranteed that it will. When he said things like, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give myself as a ransom to many. And then he calls us to come alongside and serve others. And in the story of 1 Samuel today between Jonathan and David, you're going to see a guy who has every right to be the hero. And he's in line to get the fame and the glory 
but he steps aside and empowers someone else to do it. What would make somebody step aside? What would make somebody give an inordinate amount of energy to make somebody else succeed? It might be because they understand the power, the impact, the legacy building that happens when you and I take the resources God has given us and invest it into others. It's powerful and potent. A little academic dean looking at Billy Graham and saying, nope, you're up this week. And that starts a movement that literally changes the globe. It was a a single lady who looked at Mother Teresa in in abject poverty herself and began to invest into her the heartbeat of a servant. And you have the result of the profound impact one life made. So who's the hero? Of course, well, of course it's Mother Teresa. But it's also that little single lady standing behind her. And of course, it's Billy Graham, but it's also the people who called it out of him. And I want to give you a chance to open your eyes to a new reality about your life that maybe you haven't thought about. The potential you have, you have right now, you don't need to do anything else. The potential you have right now to bring profound change to the world is exponential. But it may be that the way you'll get there is not just through your own accomplishments. And it may not be that you ever make a list of somebody's greatest, wealthiest, world impact, scientific. And it might be. That would be awesome. But, it may, but everybody in the room has the ability to invest in others. And when that person sits in a room and gets asked the question, who are the greatest people you've ever met? You'll be on that list. You'll be on that list. The greatest people I've ever met, some of you have never heard of. A few years ago, I had a chance to have my mentor on the stage and talk with you. And it was just a real joy for me to kind of let him see how his investment in me had kind of paid off. But there are other people. My second grade teacher who looked at me and said, I think you're smarter than you think you are. And if you'd apply yourself a little bit, I think you could do better. And that started a turn for me. In 10th grade, I had another teacher come alongside me and said, hey, I want to show you the results of this test you took. And you surprised me. You did incredibly well. And she said, have you thought about, and this is going to sound surprising to me. She said, have you thought about going to college? And in 10th grade, I had not. I lived in a town where it wasn't guaranteed you were going to college. And I was on a vocational track in high school. She said, why don't next year, why don't we track you over here a little bit? Why don't you, I think, would you, I see in you the ability here. I see, you didn't, I see you can do it. And if you get stuck, you come talk to me. It changed everything for me. Let me give you one more statement or or two, and then we'll look at the passage. I think when it comes to this stuff, just two things to keep in mind. We tend to overestimate what we can do in the short run. Because when you talk about investing in people, sometimes you're going to invest and you're not going to see immediate fruit. You're not. 
<laughs> Investing in people is messy business because people are messy. And every parent of a middle schooler should turn instantly Pentecostal and say, that's right, Ben. Sometimes you can do an awful lot of stuff and don't see anything good. It's true. But I think we tend to underestimate what we can do over time. It's just true in life. Tend to overestimate what we can do immediately and underestimate what we can do over time. And God has given you the resources to make heroes. And today is a call for us to deploy them. So I want to give you four ideas around the, around the concept that hero making is not uh, easy work. In our story today, we're going to look at David and Jonathan. And there are about well, five traits that I want to highlight in their experience that I think can speak to our call and our power to make heroes. The first one, blank number one there, numbered one, and we're going to look at Samuel in a second, but just write down the words, personally invested. Jonathan, our hero maker today, is the son of the king. The king's name is Saul. Saul is the first king of a unified Israel, and his son is Jonathan. Jonathan is the next in line for the throne. But David has had some exploits on the battlefield. Jonathan is a man of valor. He's a fighter. He's good on the battlefield himself. And he has a peer in David who's also very good on the battlefield. And the familiarity of experience, you know, kind of the me too. Oh, well, you, you had to fight? Well, I had to fight. And you did the thing over there. And, and so they had these me too moments where they were connected. But not just that. They were peers in terms of their age. They were very similarly aged. And so there's some affinity there. And they, they, they loved the exploits. They loved the adrenaline rush, evidently, because every time the Bible talks about a battle for several chapters, both of them are running to the front line. So they have, they have a similar heartbeat. I mean, they're, they're friends. They connect. They connect very, very deeply. In fact, I want you to read how the Bible describes how they connected in 1 Samuel 18, just as a snapshot. You can read these three or four chapters this week. It's a fascinating story. Here, here's what our Bible says. After David had finished talking with Saul, so David's a big war here, Saul's the king, they talk a lot. Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. So David has been brought into the family. Saul hangs out with David. David's been invited to live at the palace. He's invited to have every meal with the king, which means he's having meals with Jonathan, and they're just having a lot of time together. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan, look, look at this. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic, even his own sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, this is like, uh, this is like guys... A few years ago, maybe those of you a little older, you remember, like we used to carry pocket knives. You don't do that anymore because if you do, you're going to be a serial killer. But we used to carry pocket knives. And like, I remember even as a kid growing up in the South, when you had, you would like, sometimes you'd give, you trade knives and you did that with your friends, right? And, and, and that's kind of what's going on here, but it's a little deeper than that. The robe that Jonathan has is a symbol of his destiny, that he's next in line. And he doesn't just have any sword. He has 
the sword of a king's son. And Jonathan gives the sword to David. He gives him his robe. This is like, if you're into literature at all, this is foreshadowing that Jonathan, who's next in line to become king, is going is acknowledging on some small level even that there's something very, very special about David. In fact, Jonathan's not the only one to see it. Everybody sees it. In fact, the greatest tune of the day, the greatest song of the day in Israel, it makes no sense to me. It's a bit like rap is how I hear it, but it goes something like this. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. It doesn't rhyme. It doesn't make sense. Like I said, it's like rap. It makes no sense to me. But it is on the hit list in ancient Israel. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And everybody's talking about that because they see something in David and Saul is getting a little jealous. He's a little worried. He's worried about Jonathan's future. He's worried about his own future. But there's just some ego there. And he's having a really hard time handling the praise that David is getting, and it's creating real conflict. And you don't know in this story if David's so much invited to the king's table because it's a position of honor, or if just Saul's following the old premise that says, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. You don't know really what's going on here. And so Saul has his constant eyes on David, and Jonathan's hanging around, and the heart of David and Jonathan is being knit together, but the heart of Saul and David is being pushed further apart. And on more than one occasion, as David is playing the harp, the little lyre thing that he has, and he's singing songs because he did that. He was both a warrior and a poet, very much like a Renaissance person in many ways. And as he's doing that, on more than one occasion, Saul just gets frustrated and hurls his spear at David. David darts out of the way. And Saul's just like, I got to get rid of this guy. And at the same time, he's drawn to him because he needs him. The real thing of jealousy here. And, but while that's going on, there's another relationship developing between Saul's son and David. But what you see on the front end is, is that Jonathan, this hero maker, who God is going to use to help catapult David to his exact position, to help David achieve the very thing that God has called David to do, what you see first of all is that Jonathan is personally invested He's not detached. It's not just a little sprinkle of blessing. It's not so much even a system. It's just that David is up close and personal to Jonathan. And Jonathan is up close and personal to David. And there's an affinity in each of their hearts such that Jonathan says, I just want to bless you. I just, I just want to bless you. I just want to help you. And, and you're very close to me. God has put people in your life that you like, you enjoy hanging around, they're good people, you like to bless them, but it's not just for your own enjoyment and friendship, it's the start, but the purpose of the relationship is for some kingdom potential, some kingdom impact. They're already in your life. Sometimes you just have to have our eyes open to them. And in a small way right here, you get a little foreshadowing that Jonathan might have a sneaking suspicion that there's something extra special about David beyond just the fact that he enjoys him and that they're friends and they have some common experiences. 
But David, Jonathan begins to invest deeply into David's life with some very expensive things, things that cost him. He's personally invested. Number two, you're going to see between David and Jonathan that Jonathan is proactively protective. In 1 Samuel 19, we've skipped a few verses, but just kind of continuing the story. Here's the conversation that Saul has with Jonathan. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. The thing has gotten ugly. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. So now Jonathan's choosing sides. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I'll go out and stand with my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to him about you, and I'll tell you what I found out. So Jonathan takes sides for David. He's going to push against his dad and effectively you know, put a barrier between the harm that could come to this deep relationship that they have, this person he cares a lot about. He's going to create a barrier between them. He's proactively protective. There are people that God has put in your life, and part of the role you're supposed to play is to help protect them from outside danger so that they can get to the place where they need to get to so that God can accomplish all that needs to be accomplished in their life. And the impact of your life will be dependent in part on the role you play as a protector. Now, parents, you know this intuitively. Part of your job is to protect. It is. And part of what we do as parents is is we do our best to build a wall. Now, sometimes we can get a little crazy with it. We can helicopter parent. I like to say I'm not a helicopter parent. Helicopter parents are, are too loud. I'm a submarine parent. I do the same things. I just try to look very, you know, that's the way I do it, is try to anyway, but it doesn't work. I mean, you can go too far in this, but there is a role of protecting that can happen. God's put people in your life where you're supposed to help protect them. One of the things that Jonathan does that earns him the rank of hero maker, the very heroic rank of hero maker, is, is that he spends some time between David and the problems. Hey, I'll find out what my dad's saying about you these days. We'll talk a little bit. I'll let you know what's going on. And he becomes a source for David in order to make sure that David's life and well-being is protected. I wonder, I wonder who it is in your life that with just a little bit of effort, you could help bring protection to them. Now, we're going to see this thing continue to play out in the ways mechanically that Jonathan does some of this stuff. How he comes alongside and continues to invest, but he doesn't just invest personally with David. He makes sure that his investment is protected. But I wonder if there's anybody in your life that you could come alongside, make a handful of investments, a few strategically placed words, an occasional calendared meeting with intentionality, an occasional financial investment perhaps, I wonder if there's some people in your life you can make that kind of, and if you were to do it, he would give lift to them. And see, when most of us hear the story of David and Jonathan, we want to be David. 
We want people investing in us. We want people coming alongside us and protecting and making the investment and doing it. And that's fine and good. I hope you have those people. But the thing that God has called his servants to be is servants. And we're not here to serve our own agenda. We're ultimately here to serve his agenda. And the Lord makes his agenda perfectly clear to us. God loves people. And when his servants get about loving the people that God loves, the impact of his servants is exponential. I mean, this is a... This is less an emotional appeal as it is a logical appeal that the impact of your life will largely depend on the ability you have to make heroes of other people. (coughs) Friends, there's coming a day when you're not going to be here. The death rate still hovers at 100%. All of us will be food for worms. And there'll be a group of people sitting in a room talking about you. I don't say that to make you afraid. I say that to bring a sense of urgency to what we're talking about. What do you want them to say? You've seen the same dynamic in your workplace. You have a handful of people you work with, and it's clear that they're all about them and what they can get and what they want. And nobody likes working with those people, but sometimes they're really good at what they do and you need them. Right? They're jerks. They're just good at what they do. And, and then you've probably had a few people that you love to work with. You enjoy their company. You like doing projects with them. And the, re- the reason is, is they're not just all about them. I mean, maybe they're still very good at what they do, but they have a unique ability to give lift to the entire team. It's almost as if they believe they're not there just for themselves, but they're there so that the team can win. You see this in sports all the time. The players who are incredibly good, but it's all about them. And then the players who are incredibly good, but part of why they're good is they know how to leverage the strengths and give lift to everybody else on the team. That's what we're talking about here today. And I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but God has uniquely called every person, every disciple to help other people discover the call of God in their life and to give lift for it. Number three, Jonathan was healthily loyal. This is an interesting word, loyalty. It gets tossed around too casually and it can get a negative connotation. Let me give you the negative loyal. Negative loyal is we don't ever confront, we don't ever talk, we don't ever do. That's negative loyal, that's unhealthy, that's bad. Healthy loyalty says how we engage each other And how we stick together, the tone by which we work through stuff matters. And I'm committed to your well-being. I'm loyal to your well-being. And I'm going to be with you through the thing, but we're still going to talk about the thing. Jonathan was healthily loyal to David and to the relationship they had and to the call that God had on David's life. Look at what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 20, one of the most interesting stories in the Old Testament, in my, in, in my opinion. Here's what it says. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? So this thing is just getting worse. Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide 
this from me. It isn't so. But David, but David took an oath and he said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And the story begins to unfold. I don't have time to read the whole story, but here's what happened. Yep, Saul is trying to kill David and Jonathan had been resistant, but his eyes are now open to it. And so they concoct a little bit of a plan together of how it is David is gonna be taken care of and safe. And instead of sitting at the king's table that night, Jonathan tells David, you run out to the country. You go out there and when we have the feast tonight, the feast of the new moon, we get together to feast, my father will know that you're not there. He'll see that. And David says to Jonathan, well, when he sees that, he's going to be angry. He's going to come after me. He said, Jonathan says, no, no, no. I'll tell him that you asked to go celebrate the feast back at your homeland. So they concoct this scheme together to protect the investment that's being made so that David's life would not be endangered. Jonathan could demonstrate his fidelity and his loyalty to his friend. And so that's what they do. The feast comes. David's not at his seat. Saul asks the question, where's David? Jonathan speaks up and he says, here's what's going on. Uh, he has to go back. I let him. And it seems to appease Saul for a minute. But now David is in hiding. And this is going to be a series of events for David for the next several months. He's going to be in constant hiding from Saul. And so David and Jonathan have another conversation that goes like this. You go out to the field and I'll come out hunting and I'll shoot three arrows over by that rock that we've identified. And then I'll send my servant boy to go get my arrows because arrows are very expensive. They're very difficult to make. And you so if the king went hunting, he'd shoot. You'd go find his arrow and you bring it back, right? That's the way that worked because people were replaceable, but arrows were expensive in those days. That's kind of how that worked. It's horrible, but it's the way it worked. And so I'll send my servant. And when he's there looking, I'll yell out one of two things. Either the arrows are beyond you. And if you hear me say that, it means one thing. Or I'll say, no, no, the arrows are in front of you. And that means something else. If I say the arrows are in front of you, that's your sign that in the nighttime, you can come back home, everything's fine. But if I yell out, the arrows are beyond you, that's your sign. Don't come out of hiding. Dad wants to get you. It's not safe. And Jonathan knew he couldn't meet publicly because of all the visibility of his own life. And as they're having this conversation that seems very life or death, and it is, one concept keeps coming up over and over and over again. It's the concept that, that God's somehow involved in this. They're constantly appealing to the Lord. So my next point I want to make to you is that hero making is not easy work, in part because it has to be God and not self-oriented. That's number four. It has to be God and not self-oriented. The kind of thing I'm talking to you about is not just something to be nice to do. It's the kind of thing that you understand God's called us to do. As a church, we know that God has called us to make an investment, not just in the people of this room, but in the people who are in the other side of our space, our children, our students. We know that God's invested not in this building, but even outside of the walls, like over when we go to Hamilton Mission. This is not something we do to be nice. This isn't part something we do because God has called us to do it. 
So I want you to hear some of the God language that keeps dripping into the conversation. 1 Samuel 20, 12 and following. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I'll surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. But if he's favorably disposed to you, I'll not send you word and let you know. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he was with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. It's almost as if Jonathan knows David's about to be the new guy. And David, when you're the new guy, I want you to treat me with the kindness of the Lord because And so everywhere they're talking, there's just an awareness of God and God's character, and they're appealing to the character of God even in their oaths. Don't ever cut me off from your kindness or from my family. And even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth, Jonathan says there's coming a day when David is going to be the guy. I understand the Lord is in this. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. The kind of thing we're talking about here is not just doing nice, it's love in action. One of the most powerful ways you can demonstrate love to somebody else is say to them, I see in you, I recognize in you. I'll come alongside you. I'll stand with you through the dirt, through the ugly. I'll help create a barrier. We'll be healthily loyal. I'll remind you of the God stuff, the character of God that is at work in your life and in the world. Number five, Jonathan was selflessly proactive. Selflessly proactive. Like every good hero maker, he has to help pay the price. Parents, you know that In your kids, the investment doesn't always pay off in a linear fashion, and we tend to overestimate what we can do in the short run and underestimate the impact we can have on the long run, and we're ready for the easy payoff. But you know another reality of parenting is, is that there's a certain amount of selflessness required because kids, let's just be honest, are selfish, and they're difficult on occasion. And if parents are selfish and kids are selfish, it's horrible. Sometimes that's true in the people you're going to invest in. Sometimes they're selfish. Sometimes they're underdeveloped. Sometimes you just don't have the life experience. And you've got to be able to see in them something they can't see. And you've got to be able to carry it for a while when they can't carry themselves. And you're going to have to be proactive sometimes and keep that engine running when they're not ready to run. And this is what Jonathan does. Verse 18 and following, and Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon feast. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow... Toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone easel. And I'll shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I'll send a boy, go and find the arrows. If I say, look, the arrows are on this side, bring them here, then come because as surely as the Lord lives, you're safe, there's no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. About this matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between me and you forever. And he shoots the arrows and he yells out, the arrows are beyond you. And he waits for the field to clear and in the darkness of night, they meet by the stone. They hug. They express their concern for each other. David looks at Jonathan and says, as long as I live, you and your family will be honored by me and my family. 
for the impact, for the investment you've made in me. And Jonathan looks at David and says, as best as I can, I'll protect you. And the story unfolds. Saul is killed. Jonathan is killed. David becomes king. In the next couple pages of your Bible, at one point while David is king, he says to his servants, is there not a relative of my friend Jonathan that I can bless? I just miss my friend. One of the servants says to David, there is, there's a little boy by the name of Mephibosheth. I love their names, Mephibosheth. And when Saul's family was being killed in battle, he was a little baby. And the servant who grabbed him and ran down the stairs ran too quickly. And she tripped and fell and crippled him. He can't walk. And so Mephibosheth is sent for and he's terrified because he knows what happens when kings change thrones. You kill everybody. And David looks at Mephibosheth and says, you get to sit at my table forever and I'll cover your legs with my tablecloth and you'll have plenty and I'll restore all the land of your family. Everything that was taken from Saul will be given to you. And David keeps his word because of his deep, deep affection for the investment that Jonathan had made. And I want to make something perfectly clear to you. As a church corporately, we have the same opportunity in front of us to make deep investment in people who don't believe that God can use them, who don't believe that their life can have impact. We get to look at them regularly and say, I see in you something. God's not done with you. Your sin is not too great. Your mistakes are not too far. Your your past is not too great. I see it in you. But it requires from us a certain attitude. So I want to run through just one more time a handful of statements. Number one, at the bottom, underneath the the numbered stuff, here's what it says. You can either live for your resume, building your own thing, or you can live for your eulogy. But it's difficult to live for both at the same time. If it's just about you, good luck with that. Good luck. Even secular writers, you don't have any... uh, affirmation of a belief in God acknowledge that the greatest path to personal success is to help other people. The guy who's at the forefront of this these days, you can read his book, his name's Simon Sinek. He says that the, the clearest path to success for most people is through serving others. The greatest sense of significance. But it's very difficult to serve yourself and serve other people at the same time. But ironically, like often happens in the kingdom of God, when you do the thing that God's called you to do, it ironically brings you incredible blessings personally. It's amazing how that works. But if you go after the personal blessings, often they don't come. And make no mistake, it's safer and it's more profitable to not be a hero maker. You'll have more money, more energy, more time, and less hurt if you don't invest in people. You will. That's why most people don't do it. This is painful. This is difficult. People are messy. But the problem is, is if you don't do it, if you live your life for yourself, all you'll have is your life to show for it. And I want to make something perfectly clear to you. Your life is far too small a goal to give your life to. Your life is far too small a goal to give your life to. Your life can be so much more than just you. Your life is far too small a goal to give your life to. And if you give your life to yourself, you'll only have yourself to show for it. 
No, all this would just be nice making if it wasn't so directly tied to the person of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate hero maker. When you don't know what else to give, you can always give Jesus. You can always give Jesus, who has this unique ability to say to people, the world may be done, you may be done, your parents may be done, the school may be done, but I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. I call you to greatness. Greatness that is defined by the values of the kingdom of God, not by the world. Your name may never make it on a plaque, but your grandchildren may talk about you. You have that power. They do. You do. You may not have any biological children, but there can be people who remember the impact of your life because of how you gave lift to others. And the way you do it is not so much run after being a hero and the fame and the accolade that comes with it, but run as Jesus did as being the guy who gives lift to everybody else in the room, the hero maker. This is what Jonathan did. Here's my robe. I I have a right to wear it. I have a right to be king. In fact, Jonathan could have literally taken his sword and killed David, gained his father's pride and secured his own seat on the throne. But he put all that aside and said, I'm going to give lift to you. So let me just ask you very pointed. Who is it in your life that God could use you to give lift to? What hero can you help make as you deeply invest, as you personally come alongside, as you get healthily loyal to that person and to their well-being and to the conversations that need to be had? as you make it about the Lord's agenda, not your own for them? What does God want to do in their lives? And how can you be a part of that? I wonder what person, what people you could give lift to. Want to grab out your connect card? Let's take a couple steps together then. I talked about the fact that Jesus is the ultimate hero maker, but it's possible that you have not yet come into a relationship with him where he's able to be an active part of your life. So the Bible says you can change that in a moment. It goes like this. God, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. So I'm going to trust the work, Jesus, that you did on the cross and in your resurrection to save me. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you can be saved. Not the Lord of the universe, not that you believe he exists, but be the Lord of your life. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A, A, and it says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and my Lord. If you want to do that, when the offering buckets come by in a moment, take the card, put it in the offering bucket, pray with me in a second, and say to God, God, wash away my sins. Follow. I want to follow you with my life. You be the leader. I'll be the follower. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. You heard about how on August 5th, we're having one service at 10 o'clock. It ends with a baptism in our parking lot, right out through those doors. It's going to be awesome. If you'd like to be a part of that, uh, go ahead and uh, check the box. If you have questions, the way we get them answered is you check the box. That starts the conversation. Now, our next few steps are prayers that I want to offer for you to pray And so here's the first one. Next step C says, hey, I want to pray this prayer maybe every morning. Here's what it says. God, help me live today aware that you've given me resources I can deploy to help make heroes of others and give me the courage to make the investment today. Don't delay. Who is it that God's put in your life that you can give lift to? Make that investment. Start today. 
If you pray this prayer every morning, I hope it'll keep it in front of you. Next step, D says, hey, would you join with me, church, and pray for our students as they serve and experience God and his word at mission camp? Our students leave Tuesday morning. They're going to mission camp. It's going to be a great time of, of, of encountering God's word and worship and serving the people of Southeast Tennessee. Um, just incredible. You'll see some pictures online and stuff. But I'd love for you to pray for them, that God would make himself known to them in a way that they cannot deny that it is the Lord. All right, the next step, E says, hey, would you pray for our pastors and for the dream team, that's all the volunteers that God is building at our church? Because the truth is, is we know that even though we're gonna give ourselves to God, using us to give lift to other people, to tapping them on the shoulder and saying, I see in you, we can't do anything spiritual without God's help. So we just covet your prayers. And uh, we're in a really good season, but we know that the Lord has more for us. So next step, E, is an invitation for you to pray for the leaders and the volunteers of this church. You can set that card aside for just a moment. And if you call this church home, this is your opportunity to make an investment financially into the ministry of this church. So I got to tell you, 4C, you're killing it. You're killing it. I'm almost afraid to tell you that for fear that you'll stop, but you're killing it. You allow us to have a robust staff to make the changes we need to make because you're faithful in giving. You do silly things, it sounds like, but they're very important, like you pay for toilet paper. That's a big deal, believe it or not. And you make sure that there are pens for our guests to write their names down. You serve in various capacities, but your giving has made a practical difference in this church. And the giving of the last few months, those of you that have stepped up, especially the members, those of you who are members, you have stepped up in a big way. You've made a profound difference in just the enjoyment factor for me. And, and for our board, because now we see that there are people who are growing. And one of the marks of maturity is, is that you begin to honor God with your money. And clearly a lot of you are doing that. And if over the last few months you've made a decision that you wanted to invest in this church and you've done it, I just want to tangibly say to you, thank you. Thank you. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of free time to think about the blessings of this church and in my life to be a part of it with you. And I'm just grateful. And if over the last few months you made a decision, you wanted to invest financially in life at church, you haven't been able to do it yet, maybe today would be a day to get started. And if not, if you're not in a place to be able to do that, that's okay too. Clearly we have generous people who believe in what we're doing. And I'd like for you to be a part of it. So would you bow with me right now and let's pray about our next steps and our offering. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you that you are the ultimate hero maker. God, you looked at me and you said, I see something in you. And what you saw in me forever changed my life. But not just me, Lord, my brothers and sisters in this room, and people who have not yet committed their lives to you, you see in us often what we can't see in ourselves. And you send people into our lives, God, to call that out of us, and we're grateful. But Lord, I pray we would not just be grateful. I pray that our experience would motivate our experience, that we would become people who see in others what you see in them when they can't see it for themselves. I pray, Lord, that we'd be people who call out the God stuff in other people when they can't see it themselves. I pray, Lord, that we'd come alongside people and be your hands extended into their life, calling out your good in them. We'd help them understand the greatness to which you've called them and the powerful impact of their lives potentially if they'll follow you. 
I pray, God, we truly become servants of your agenda. Your agenda's people. Father, I want to thank you for each person in this room who's declaring right now, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I commit my life to you. And I pray, Father, that you would take the prayers that we're going to pray this week and they'd be spiritual investments and you'd honor them. I lift up our students going to mission camp and our leaders, bless them, pour out your spirit upon them. Let them have an undeniable experience of your presence. God, I pray that you'd fill up this church with people who don't yet know how awesome you are and you'd use us to teach it to them. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and powerful son. Amen and amen.